back to the Deeper Dive podcast produced locally in the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. here at uh, Sacred Heart Roman Catholic Church in La Plata, Maryland. My name is Bill Winnell, as always, joined by Monsignor Pope. Good afternoon, Monsignor. Good afternoon. Well, Larry, how are you? Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Doing well. Uh, Father Larry's back from retreat now. We didn't do a, uh, a weekly podcast last week, but um, this week, we're, so we're a little late to the game, but nevertheless, uh, today... Father Larry and Monsignor Pope are going to discuss uh, the Bishop Strickland's removal, as well as um, kind of uh, some questions that were sent to the Vatican, and we'll talk about that, what that's called, uh, and answered uh, regarding transgender godparents and sponsors uh, for sacraments. So, Father Larry... Okay, great. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us once again on the Deeper Dive podcast. And uh, we're going to take a break with the theological virtues, not in our personal lives, but, you know, just as a podcast, we're going to go back to that next week. But uh, a lot of people are asking about what's going on in the Vatican. What's this dubia? What is this thing about baptizing transgender people? And why was Bishop Strickland removed? So I thought it would be good, you know, uh, as Catholic priest, to give you some uh, some some thoughts on the matter on this matter, and uh, so let's. I think it's it's good to start with the the baptism question. Now, first off, a dubia were a serious question sent to uh, by uh, mostly bishops to the card uh, to the Pope for clarification uh, about theological matters or pastoral pastoral uh, uh, applications and. Um, it kind of a strange question, but, you know, to be honest, I mean, we might have to, I'm, uh, you know, I've had situations where transgender people, uh, trans or people that claim to be transgender have asked for certain things in the church. And I didn't know, like, well, how do I answer this? You know? And um, so one of it was, can a transgender person come forth for baptism if they're not baptized? And secondarily, can a transgender person be a godparent? So, what I thought would be good is to uh, have Monsignor Pope just give a little summation. I'll add add to that possibly about what is the criteria first and foremost uh, in in order for a person to be to be a let's just say a godparent for a baby. So if you're asked to be a godparent, what are the the basic criteria that you have to, in order to qualify this the the minimal requirements for that? So Monsignor, let's start with that and then. We'll move on to whether you can be baptized as a transgender and, and your reply to that. Yeah, for someone to be a sponsor, um, whether of an infant baptism, a godparent, in other words, or confirmation, um, um, would be that they are a practicing Catholic. They're 16 years of age right. um, or older, and, um, and they've been confirmed. Um, so this um, uh, you know, obviously then beyond those just technical requirements that they are they, that they both hold the Catholic faith and they practice it. That's to say they're getting to mass regularly. In America, we like to add stuff about whether they're registered in a certain parish. That isn't technically a 
a rule of canon law, but it's one of the ways that we sort of track, is this person really a serious Catholic or not? So those are the things, but fundamentally that they'd be 16 confirmed, uh, 16 or better uh, confirmed, and that they would uh, be practicing the, uh, the Catholic faith. Okay, so let's just let's, let's kind of push the ball a little further here with the practicing Catholic statement. Because some yeah. people say, well, yeah, yeah, I'm probably practice, you know, but are you playing the game? And uh, so <laughs> I, there, there are some things that would disqualify anyone from being considered a practicing Catholic in good standing with the Catholic Church. I think, I think one of the things, I'm not sure if it's in canon law per se, but does that, it means you got to be in, in good standing with the church, correct? Yeah. Um, so, so, for example, if your marriage wasn't recognized, you wouldn't be about, you know, an, an adequate sponsor. That's a good addition there, Father. Um, right. Thanks right. for the catch. But as I say, there could be other ways that one isn't in good standing. If, for example, they were, you know, had been somehow censured or given some sort of, um, uh, you know, that's rare today, especially with the kind of issues we have today. You know, <laughs> they're not prone to give many uh, punishments or delicts for delicts or what have you. But at the end of the day, if someone is in some way uh, not admitted, admissible to the sacraments or has received some kind of censure from their bishop, they wouldn't be right. adequate either. Right. I mean, something you could, you could make, I mean, I, I'm just to set this up with the transgender question. Um, like say for instance, I, I, sometimes I told people if they're living with their boyfriend or girlfriend, then they can't be a sponsor. If it, it's a public thing. Uh, is that, it was that, that was that something that would be fair or unfair to say? Uh, so you, you would, you would say that a person who's living with their boyfriend or girlfriend outside of marriage or marriage, yeah, they really should. Used to the debt that the baptism should be delayed. Right. I would gen generally ag agree with that, Father, and, unless they're going to plan to either get married or separate, and um, so they have to be able to, I think, move. So again, we we have a lot of people today who live in very irregular situations, as you know. Right. <clears throat> they're um. It's not just about LBGTQIA ampersand you know, plus plus sign, uh, asterisk, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people who may could be in the sort of the heterosexual camp, but are, are doing things like they're in a, in a second marriage without an annulment or <clears throat> they're living together outside of marriage. In some cases too, they're very open in their descent. Now, unfortunately, let's say most of the bishops don't want to enforce Canon 915. Um, but, um, <clears throat> well, at least not many of them. And, um, we see that, uh, but nevertheless, uh, they're in very open descent by the way they live. Um, and so, again, these are the things that, again, we have to say would tend to disqualify a person both from receiving the sacraments without some sign of repentance right? and would would also render them incompetent as a sponsor. Right. And I would say to, 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 to you know, uh, double back there, I was saying more with the sponsor that I would ordinarily say, no, you cannot be a sponsor under that circumstance. Um, mm -hmm. And we could talk a little bit about, you know, the situation with the baby too, because then there's that whole question about what do you do with the oh, baby yeah. Yeah. that needs to be baptized, you know? <clears throat> so, all right, so let's kind of jump the gun here. What's your answer, your your answer, if you, you know, you're a, let's say, for instance, you became a bishop and your particular diocese, and the question was, um, okay, uh, there is a, a guy who claims to be a girl wants to be a sponsor. They say they're a practicing Catholic. Can I, can they be the sponsor? What's your answer and why, or why not? No, they're not practicing or living the Catholic faith. 
Catholic faith does not teach that there are, and there is any such thing as a transgender. Unfortunately, right. we're we're enslaved to using this kind of crazy language because it's right. such a bizarre unreality, but it's presented that we have to almost use their words. But the church does not recognize that a boy can become a girl or a girl can become a boy, man, a woman, and so forth. Um, this is not possible. Uh, I would argue that science also holds this, <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes they want you to follow the science. Sometimes they don't, you know, uh, sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't, <laughs> um, right. but anyway, there's a, there's a kind of, um, uh, you know, there's a, a, a I would, I, let me just put it to you this way. There's a, there's a line in, um, the, uh, the, the, the scriptures uh, that says here from Isaiah 49, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. So, you know, as if, if as if an earthenware vessel among vessels of the earth. Will the clay say to the potter, why did you make me thus? What are you doing? Um, and so, in other words, this is this is a way of this, almost a blasphemy to hurl back into God's face what he has made, um, saying, you put me in the wrong body. You screwed up, God. Um, I, I'm really a female and you put me in a male body and, or to say, you know, to, to, for the clay to say to the, or the pot to say to the potter, why did you do this? What are you doing? Why did you make me thus? Uh, this again is something which God, uh, rejects. Um, and God does not make mistakes in this regard. And, um, so they're, they're, they're denying the Catholic faith, which does not recognize that a man can become a woman and ask us to then insist on this, and then are living in a way uh, that, that is fundamentally a lie. They're saying they're a man when they're really a woman or vice versa, and they're not only very often engaged in a lie, but they then expect other people to go along with this lie or this ruse, and they put pressure on them to do it. And um, I, all I can say is that, again, all of these things are contrary to the Catholic faith, and uh, not only contrary to the Catholic faith, but in a way, and again, I don't always mean this in the formal sense, but it's a type of blasphemy, if you really think about it, because the, we're hurling back into God's face what he has made, and that is a blasphemy. Not everybody thinks of it that way, um, and I'm not saying everybody's entirely culpable of blasphemy, but it is when you think about it. Right. So what was the what was the response of the Vatican to this particular question? Well, unfortunately, it was a little muddled, but however, basically the Vatican said, well, in a, in a technical sense, yes, a, a transsexual, they, by the way, that's their word. In our culture or in America, they want to use the word transgender. And there's this big debate about what your what your sex is and what your gender is are two different things. Well, that's just you know silly. But at the end of the day, um, the document from Rome, uh, the the response to the dubia by uh, by uh, uh, His Eminence uh, Jose Negri Descovo of Santo Amaro in Brazil. So it was one bishop who asked, and this um, dubia uses the word. So they asked the question and answer it: Can a transsexual be baptized? A transsexual who had also undergone hormone treatment or surgery or sex reassignment surgery can receive baptism under the same conditions of the other faithful if. Now, in other words, they say yes, but then they give some qualifications. And I would argue that the qualifications are hard to meet. Unfortunately, I do think that a lot of people live only by reading headlines 
And uh, even the Catholic press was saying Vatican now allows transsexuals to be baptized, act as sponsors, etc. It's not quite what the document says, first of all. But secondly, there is unfortunately some sense where the document kind of muddles some things that it shouldn't. This has kind of been consistent in this time of what I would call weaponized ambiguity. Hmm? But right. uh, the answer that the document says is yes. But I would argue if you really apply the the uh, uh, qualifications, you're not really ever going to be able to do it. Uh, what, what are the specific qualifications that the Vatican puts forth in order for a transsexual um, yeah. person? Uh, well, I, I don't like to say transsexual person doesn't exist, but a tra yeah. someone claims to be transsexual yeah. to be a godparent. What are the what's the criteria? Let's go through that. Oh, for godparents or for just being baptized? Well, just being baptized. Let's say baptized for argument's yeah. sake. Well, okay. So it says here, um, the first reason is, um, let me just read it to right out of the document here. It says <clears throat> that, that, that this can be done, uh, but only if, only if, now listen to this, only if there are no situations in which there is a risk of generating public scandal or disorientation among the faithful. Well, I'm going to say, right, always going to be a risk of generating scandal and disorientation. Right. Among the faithful, and that's such I mean, a that's such a broad category because some people would be completely off the rocker about that. Uh, some people would be in between, which is a lot of people, you know. I mean, and and then there are people who just don't care, right? right. And some people would be like, "Oh, this is so wonderful." So, <clears throat> but I mean, there's gonna be. I mean, uh, I mean, I'd I'd be scandalized, but I, I I think yeah. Go ahead. But I would argue that there's two ways to understand the word scandal. Okay. One of which is, I'm shocked, shocked. You know, that's kind of one sense of scandal. But, you know, the, the, the saddest thing about scandal of all is this, that the real results of scandal is that people are no longer shocked. Now, when I was a kid back in the early 60s, divorce was considered shocking. Um, two people living together outside of marriage, we called that shacking up and people were shocked. Decent people don't do that. But now, after all these years of just people giving scandal in the sense of what is scandal ultimately is anything, behavior or attitude, which tends to lead the faithful into sin um, or, you know, convince them that there's no problem here. You know, so uh, the, that's the saddest thing, that the risk of scandal isn't just that people are shocked, but that people are no longer Shocked, uh, right? We just muddle down everything. We dumb down everything. Mm -hmm. We're no longer shocked about anything. We facilitate. We just settle down with sin, every form of sin. They got a divorce and remarriage. They don't want to go through the annulment. Just wave them through. You know, uh, John the Baptist died for nothing. You know, and all of this kind of stuff. So, we've got a lot of settled down stuff with sin today, and and frankly, some would be shocked. Uh, but they would just be accused of haters. You're just hateful. You just hate. You hate. You hate transgender. But the real problem, I would argue, would be the second form of scandal, which is that people are no longer shocked, and that is the saddest category of all. Right. And you better. There's a risk here. That. That's exactly why there's so many of these things are just being trotted out and normalized. They want people to just settle down with this and say, "Well, this is here," and just deal with it. Right. Well, you know, it's, let's, let's, let's kind of take that notion. I mean, I think that that point alone would, um, would sort of disqualify, I think every single person that went forward with this, because the argument could be for the priest, unless he just kind of made this blanket statement that no one would be scandalized in his parish, which is 
kind of a dumb statement because it just seems like, well, how do you know? Mm-hmm. It's a very, it's a very uh, subjective um, point of view. Uh, I think right there, it's like no, no transgender would be baptized anyway with that kind of, with that, because it just, I don't think uniformly you could have every person say, oh, I'm cool with that, myself included. Well, so, now this document doesn't just say that the pastor concludes that no one, you know, as far as he understands, no one would be scandalized, but that there can't even be a risk. A risk. Of scandal. Okay. So what's the second criteria? Let's see. Is this, I mean, is there another one that's just as tougher? That's, is that the pretty well, much the disqualifying? Just to wrap up the idea here, it says not only the risk of scandal, but the risk of disorientation. Now, hello, this is exactly what we're dealing with. So somebody who comes and says, I am biologically male, but I think I'm I'm going to act like a female. I mean, are they not disoriented? Yes, they are. They're very disoriented. You are not a woman. You're a man, you know? Um, and right. then you, you're trying to disorient everybody else. That's something so obvious. It's almost like gaslighting people. That, oh, you, I know I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man and I was born as your son, but now I'm your daughter. And you got to just sort of get used to this. No, this is very disorienting for everybody. And not only... Is it disorienting or has the, but even the risk of disorienting the faithful, it says, if that's even, even that is there, that it can't be done. Now, I'm just trying to hoist this document on its own petard. Um, we're going to go to the second thing that you said, Father, but I just wanted to really lay the groundwork and, and, make, and make one final point, if I could. I don't mean to dominate, but, you know, too many pastors just think about, oh, we want to welcome this individual. Yeah, oh, they are special. You know, um, well, you know, whatever happened to the common good? You know, sometimes we're so, we're all wringing our hands that somebody might be hurt. And we, you know, I don't, none of us intend to want to hurt anybody. <clears throat> but gosh darn it, what about all the good faithful Catholics? Yeah. Who go to pay their tithes, so to speak. Senior, if I could, if I could, uh, if I could, can you, for the, you know, common person out there, explain just briefly, what is the common good? Because this is, I think this is like, this is vitally important when you talk about anything with social justice and these types of things, but go ahead. Uh, Well, in other words, sometimes we send, we spend so much time trying to fix something that seems to be wrong for for one person that we end up harming or disorienting or uh, causing confusion among the vast majority of people. Right. And so the common good then is that I need to act <clears throat> not just for this individual's good, but I have to weigh that and balance that with the good, uh, the needs and the good of the, of the, of the community of all the faithful. And I'm afraid today that in the church, we seem to be bending over backwards to sort of welcome dissenters and talk about welcoming them and accompanying them. But, but the, the actual faithful are often, just sort of brushed aside and and to the degree that they sort of say well i don't get all this and he said well you're rigid or you're you know you're you're uh you're old-fashioned or you're you must be uh you know a traditional catholic you know are you a tlmer you know there's a lot of uh, just excoriating of the faithful and you know yet they're the ones who go to church they're the ones who pay the bills they're the ones who are really actively trying to live the faith and hand it on and they're treated often very badly now this isn't just a question of fairness and justice but that any pastor who's looking at such a situation can't just say well i need to act for the good of this individual he has to say to himself how will this affect all my people will this mm-hmm. confuse them, scandalize them will this make them uh, you know 
somehow, uh, uh, you know, frustrated. You know, they're trying to teach their kids, and all of a sudden, this priest is just waving, waving people in open descent right on through and uh, welcoming them um, without any call for repentance. I mean, how does that help a parent who's trying to raise a kid, you know, in the faith? And so, uh, any pastor can't just look to the individual who's in front of him. He has to say, "How will this decision that I make affect?" all the others and that's the common good yeah like the, the family you got to look at the good of the family right um okay what's the second point monsignor that the vatican puts out which would just in, in in essence disqualify a transsexual godparent wannabe and this is where they kind of muddled it father um they talk about <coughs> it says here i'm going to read from the document the following must be considered, especially when there are doubts about the objective moral situation in which this transgendered person finds himself, uh, or about his own subjective disposition towards grace. In the case of baptism, the church teaches that when the sacrament is received without repentance for serious sins, the subject does not receive sanctifying grace, although they do receive a sacramental character. And it goes on to say, the catechism says, this configuration to Christ and to the church created by the Spirit is indelible. It remains forever in the Christian as a positive disposition to grace, as a promise and a guarantee of divine protection, and as a vocation to divine worship and service of the church. But then they go on to say, and they quote Thomas and Augustine just to show they're smart. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's always safe to quote Thomas and Augustine. It is true that there are two effects of baptism, that it confers this sacramental, if you will, character, that we become uh, a member of the household of God. We become a son of God. We become a member of the body of Christ. Okay, that's the character. You know, in other words, you know, no matter how bad you or I ever behave, uh, Father, uh, we could never be say, you, you're still a swink. No, you just can't undo it. You know, I'm right. still a little Charles Pope. My, I'm still the Pope family. Um, I might be even disowned or disinherited, but I'm still just, that's what I am. You know, I'm still a member in the sense that you can never simply just deny what you actually are. Okay, that's sacramental character. But then it's fascinating that the, the document actually says here that if somebody approaches the church in this condition, unrepentant, they're not going to receive sanctifying grace in the sacrament of baptism. Until right. they remember. Well, that's that's. I mean, that's. Let's just kind of put that out for people. So, like, if uh, a teenager refuses to go to confession before their confirmation, and they've, I don't know, mm -hmm. committed some mortal sin or you know, uh, quite a few, mm -hmm. and they're in middle school, uh, they they also would not receive sanctifying grace of that sacrament until they've been to confession, until they've repented, and that's true with every sacrament, even matrimony. Yeah. I mean, if a, if a couple goes to matrimony and, you know, and they, uh, this is probably very true with a lot of couples, they, they don't go to confession, you know, when they get married. And although the sacrament was performed, the graces don't kick in until they, until they're back into the state of sanctifying grace, which yeah. I, I think a vast majority of people don't understand that concept at all. No. I mean, well, it's like, well, it's like communion. I mean, how many people go to communion? I mean, this is the, the canon, what, 915, right? Yeah. Right. Where... You know, I remember refusing someone who was in public scandal for communion. I got in trouble for it, but uh, I'm not going to go into the circumstances. But it was, it was public and obstinate sin. And um, but yeah. I just told them, I said, because of the common good, everyone else knows what you're doing. You, you gotta just, you gotta just not present yourself. You know, yeah, I mean, 
because it's not good for everyone else to see it. You know, and I think it, it's, it's all tied together. You were a good pastor in doing that. Well, that just seems to be, but here's the fear. The fear is, are we going to be punished for refusing a transgender uh, to be a, a godparent? Now, I don't know about well, Father, at this point, I don't care. Right, right, exactly. And I, I'm I, not I think, going to do... Right, yeah, and none, yeah. of, none of us should care. That's my point. Yeah, right. I don't think, I mean, I, I just think most people, we can't care. But the question yeah. is, it's pretty sad that we'll be, if, if and I'm saying mm -hmm. big IF, if a priest was was um, punished for doing his due diligence and, and basically saying what the document says, no, this is going to bring scandal to my parish. I'm not going to do, let you do this. Um, right. I think I think that I well I and I think the document permits that because, in essence, what it's doing is putting it back on the person and not necessarily the pastor. You know, you just say, yeah. and that's how we deal with it anyway. Is it's not it's not like we say, oh no, I'm saying you can't be a godparent or you can't be baptized, I'm saying by your actions, you disqualify yourself, so make a decision. Mm -hmm. do you, how bad do you want it? Here's, I, where I, unfortunately, here's unfortunately where the document kind of muddles it, though. Okay. It goes on to say that because of this distinction between character, getting sacramental character, even if you don't get sanctifying grace, maybe this will be something that will bring them to conversion. And I want to sing, yeah, we can also sing Kumbaya, and while we're at it, but as I say, uh, it doesn't, you know, people are very hardened in these views today. And if they do repent, it's probably going to be for other reasons than just because, you know, the unlikely situation that someone in this state would step forward for baptism. Right. But I think that, um, uh, so the document though, does sort of recoup itself a little bit. I want to read a second part of this okay. uh, reflection that they give, but I think where, where they fall, they kind of get maybe a little, I don't know if the word is naive, but I, the word is maybe sort of wishful thinking that, oh, maybe the fact that they that they get baptized will, will, will sow the seed of repentance in them. My experience is generally when, when the church doesn't take ourselves seriously, neither does anybody else. Right. And uh, you, you go ahead and bend over backwards and try to do things for people and hope that that'll bring them back to church. I almost find that almost doesn't. No one's never worked, and not only does it not work, but it actually backfires right. because so they don't take it serious. So, Matthew, yeah. let's quote. Let's quote that particular quote that where they get where they muddle it. Go ahead. Do you have the okay. quote there? Well, no. This I already quoted where they muddled. Okay. But this, but they do go on and recoup a little bit by saying okay. this. So even when doubts remain about the objective moral situation of one person. Um, on his subjective disposition toward grace, one must never forget the aspect of the faithfulness of God's unconditional love, capable of generating even this with even in the sinner an irrevocable alliance. This is true even when there does not appear fully in the penitent an expressed desire for amendment. That's where again they muddle it. But here, then they say this. But in any case, which I think you have to interpret means all cases. <laughs> but in any case. The church will always have to call them to live fully the implications of the baptism they've received, which is always included and unfolds within the entire path of Christian initiation. So, in other words, we have an obligation to say to them, like I do at every baptism of an infant where the parents aren't real serious, that you understand you're making, you're, you're entering into promises that you also make to God. That in effect, you believe whatever the Catholic Church believes, teaches, and professes to be revealed by God, and you're going to try to live it. Now, let me give you a different scenario. I've had four couples come to me, 
so-called couples, uh, gay gay couples, so to speak, um, and wanted a child baptized. And in all four cases, I I wrote to them, emailed them, and I said, now look, I think it's good that we, I'd, I'd like to get this child baptized, but I'm going to ask you, I, I need to tell you something, that you're going to make a promise in the baptismal rite to raise this child in the practice of the faith. And I just want you to know that you're going to be making that promise to God, which for you means you have to start living chastely and you can't go on living in a homosexually active lifestyle. Um, and I, 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 I care about this child's soul, but I also have to care about your souls. And I don't want you to make promises you're not ready to make. And in no case did any of those four quote couples ever call me back. But my point is that I think we have to say the same thing to cohabiting couples. I have to say to them, you're, you're going to, you're making a promise. I know. Well, I think we've been really loose with that. And that's one of the problems, you know? Uh, in essence, because, you know, and the, the idea is like, well, this, this also comes back to the question of, well, you're punishing the baby for what the parents are doing. It's a little different though, isn't it? Yeah. What's that? I mean, I, it's, and it's, but it's like, you know, and it's, it becomes this like circular argument because you're like, well, yeah, but you can say it that way. But the question is, is the baptism going to make a difference in the child's life at this point? You know, is it, I mean, it's, it just becomes this like, vicious yeah. thing um, now i'm gonna i'm gonna have a little bit of a different attitude about an infant whose parents are misbehaving than i am about an adult who walks into the guy who walks into my office wearing a dress and wants to get baptized right. uh, the, the, the child hasn't done anything wrong the child has just nutty parents or sinful parents so I'll, I'll be much more accommodating but at the end of the day i want to be firm and clear with those parents you are going to make a promise and God's going to judge you on that promise. And you will appear before him. You'll answer for what you've done. I like to keep it in their court and say, look, I'm not going to refuse the infant baptism here right away. But I'm going to tell you, if you don't feel ready to make this promise, I'd be very careful. And and, and until you are ready, uh, right. you, you, you know, I, I want it to stay in their court. I want them to know you are going to be accountable to God for what you do. And uh, so I think that this, we, we want to sort of put this in the wider pastoral activity. But I, I also want to say that there is something different about an infant baptism. I think you and I as pastors, and Bill, I think you as a father would probably know and agree to say, look, um, we might have to have a little different standard for an infant whose parents are misbehaving than for a fully, you know, for an adult who walks into our office like a guy wearing a dress. There's going to be that. That's someone who's making their own decisions. And we're going to have to do it. Now, here's again, let me just read this one last line that I read it, but I want to read it again. In any case, whatever the church, whether there's a baptism celebrated or not, the, the church must always call the, these, let's call this transgendered person, to live fully, 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 all, all, all the implications of the baptism received. Which means, I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church believes, teaches, and professes to be revealed by God. And I think that if a pastor can't get that from an adult who wants to be baptized, mm -hmm. well, why, why do we go through the creed with them in RCIA? Why do we study the faith with them? And why do we, when we receive even Protestants from the church, make them recite that formula? I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church believes, teaches, and professes to be revealed by God. Because once again, we're not playing around. These sacraments aren't magic. 
Uh, they depend on our agreement and our faith. And um, so anyway, I, I, I'm sounding a little preachy, Father, but I think that I, um, I just think we're in such bizarre times and we... <sighs> We, we, we've let so much just, we've just become very settled down with sin and confusion and darkness and frankly evil that we just, when it walks right in, it doesn't even have to wear sheep's clothing. It's just an outright wolf walks right in and we're like, oh, welcome. Let's all welcome Brother Wolf to our congregation, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm not applying that to a transgender person per se. I'm just saying that we have so many things where we're just expected to just treat these Folks who come to us without any real call for repentance. And uh, meanwhile, the faithful, the sheep are harmed. And uh, it's a very sad place that we are in today. And um, it's all this identity politics and stuff. Oh, we don't want to offend. Well, we seem to be more than willing to offend God's faithful. Well, and like you pointed out earlier, Monsignor Pope, that we've, we, we very casually and quickly even adopt the language that's that they that they use there's there's no rejection of of you know terms like transgender or things like or mm-hmm. transsexual or whatever we, right. we the church itself i mean you hear some of the hierarchy just automatically uh regurgitate mm-hmm. those words yeah yeah you know we used to have our own language for things like this you know um we would speak of same-sex attraction even the word homosexual is kind of a coined term from the 1800s um, but the idea of same-sex attraction, I think, is probably the best, more descriptive thing for this. Now, um, I, I could, that would cover lesbians and and, and so-called gays. Um, but you see, what did we we just started using the LBGTQIA plus plus, and it's like, really, why are we talking like this? See, it's almost as if, as if we're giving credence to this whole well, uh, as if there were we, such a we, thing we, we, we've conceded we've conceded to the enemy as a whole yeah. right i mean we're just we're taking letting them tell tell the church what to do yeah. i mean essentially it's what it is i mean I, and i don't i don't think that's true with every priest every bishop for, no. for that matter but but you it gets dangerous when you start using language which is yeah. which they use and i i, I understand why they because that's what people understand. But at the same time, we have our own language. We have our own way of doing things. Yeah. Um, so let's transition um, into um, Strickland, um, yeah. Bishop Strickland. And, uh, you know, I got to say, I, I had lunch with him uh, maybe that was two, two and a half years ago. No, less than two years ago. Yeah. 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 I was, well, it was about, I'd say, yeah, it was about, yeah, it was, no, it's a, a little bit more. And, oh, that's um, right, because you were still pastor. That's right, that's right. You were. Yeah, still I was in Sacred Heart, and uh, I got to tell you, I really liked the man a lot. Mm-hmm. I, my encounter with him was like, I was sitting down with a brother priest who had a pictorial cross, and he just was a man of God. He was a very forthright, um, very humble, very mm-hmm. pious, uh, not really domineering, not didn't mm-hmm. have a sniff of clericalism with him he he just right. seemed like a like a nor I, mean, I like i told i think i told bill i was like he's just a normal dude and i yeah, i was right. like i was like man i i've just never had i just thought it was just really refreshing just to sit down with a bishop and just talk and i have i mean i i have uh, some bishop friends that are in a, a fraternity of mine and they're wonderful and they're very much the same they just they're always a priest and he just was a just a priest and he was yeah. 
right? uh, had a, a love for souls. And, um, but anyway, he's no longer a Bishop. It was diocese in little Tyler, Texas, and this little, you know, yeah. little spot in a big, big state. Um, so reactions, Monsignor. Yeah. I agree with you. I've met him. He's a very humble man. Uh, he's very unassuming. He doesn't, you know, um, he's not shaking his fist. He's clear, but I think he's, uh, as you point out, um, uh, a humble man. And, um, um, all, all I can say again is that uh, I agree with you entirely. Now, I think what we have here, and I think what alarms most Catholics is, uh, there's a sort of an asynchronous thing. Some people get punished and other people don't. So a father Rupnik gets no punishment and yet he's credibly, uh, abused sexually 25 women. Um, he should be laicized, frankly. Um, but he gets, you know, if you will, um, uh, you know, the Pope removed the excommunication within hours of him being excommunicated. Um, mm -hmm. And yet Bishop Strickland, um, who's probably biggest, there were no, if you if you look at the, what the Vatican issued, there were no uh, crimes or what they call delicts against him. He was accused of no canonical crime or even of, even of uh, some of this thing was kicked around about, these were administrative problems. There was nothing mentioned. In, in, in the document, nothing. Um, there's normally what's called a, a due process when a bishop needs to be removed. Um, now, the Pope, of course, is the is able to just forego it because he's the Pope. You know, technically, he answers to no one on earth. He's not bound by canon law. Um, but on the other hand, because the Pope is so powerful... The reason that's one of the reasons we have canon law, so that there is due process, so that a man is able to be have charges read to him, and then come to Rome and respond to them. Uh, you know, uh, either refute the charges or to admit them and and, and ask for uh, you know some sort of uh, you know admission and you know how he'll improve or do better. But none of this was done. Uh, what hasn't been done with a number of the bishops who've been dismissed recently? They're just out. The Pope just says you're out. And it, again, I want to be clear, the, the Pope Francis doesn't have to use due process, but all the more reason to use it when you are peerless and you answer to no one on earth, that you would want to try to use the due process to make sure that you're not just willy-nilly, tyrannically throwing your power around. There could be cases I could think maybe where a Pope knows things and and has to do things that um, he can't uh, explain to others. And, you know, but at the end of the day, you would think normally due process is an important thing. That's the first problem. I think the second problem, again, as we've already mentioned, is the asynchronous quality. German bishops are are, are, are outright celebrating gay, gay weddings. There, there's a number of them that are completely off the reservation with women's ordination, all these other things, the whole German synodal process. None of them, none of them have been disciplined, no apostolic visitations, none of these things that Bishop Strickland, who was not accused of any canonical crimes nor of any heresy, um, has, uh, you know, had to undergo. So it's it's very it's very frustrating for, I think, Catholics that we see this. Now, and yet another third area that I think commentary-wise I'd like to say is that we there's a reason he's called America's Bishop. Because he does speak and 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 talk the same stuff that most of us are saying and wondering and are worried about. And um, most of the other bishops, even the good ones that we like to mention, like, you know, I won't mention their names, but they're they're pretty traditional conservative guys. They've been very quiet about all this stuff, not just 
Strickland, but it's an awful lot of issues. They've been very, very quiet. He, on the other hand, like a good bishop, has stepped up and said, now look, here's what the church really teaches. Here's what the Lord has said in the scriptures. Here's what our, our, our catechism says. <laughs> One of the best remarks I think that Bishop Strickland made was he says, well, why have you gotten in all this trouble? Someone asked him. He says, well, I think I got into this trouble because I read the catechism out loud. <laughs> I mean, astonishing but isn't that what he does and 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 he is it's it's a real indictment that a bishop of a small diocese in tyler texas a little small diocese in east texas has is called america's bishop where are our bishops on a lot of these issues and uh, these are the things that try men's souls and so many catholics are just hurt they're angry they they feel like the the certain people are given favor who are dissenters and those who are trying to live the faith and, and articulate it with clarity get punished and beat up. And it's very, very sad and frustrating for God's people. And I'm, I'm with them in this sorrow. I have such sorrow today for just the duplicitous and asynchronous application of discipline in the church today, uh, primarily from Rome. You know, Monsignor, you mentioned whataboutism, and that's you know certainly across the political spectrum. That's that's just that's what where we are. I mean, you know, what about what about this? What about so and so? But mm-hmm. you know, in this case, you you really and I'll just I'll speak from my the lay from the from the lady from the lay standpoint. That's that's I think it's unfair to criticize and not not that you were doing that at all, but. I'm tired of apology. That's what we're left with is whataboutism <laughs> in this particular case, because the the whataboutism on let's just say the other side, for, for mm-hmm. if you will, um, is 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 a is is not a huge but growing what seems like daily, and mm-hmm. and no not not okay not even punishment no 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 mention no nothing. And 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 I think this is what what was what you know is so hard for so many people is because there are so many so many whatabouts to point yeah. at, um, and then regarding you know regarding your you, you, both of you mentioned the, the small little town of or area of Tyler, <clears throat> all true, completely surrounded by a very you know obviously mostly uh, Protestant area, and you mm-hmm. and you look at the Protestants uh, leadership coming. From that area of Texas, in his defense, they're really they're scratching their heads too. Like what, you know, you know. The, of course, we've mm-hmm. all seen the comics. You know, he was punished for being too Catholic. The Babylon Bee is, has been all over it. It's been great. Um, but it is, you know, I try to explain. I first I knew this was going to happen. The very first RCIA class after this happened, mm-hmm. that's the first thing yeah. I'm having to stand up and defend the Holy Mother Church or its hierarchy at least, or our Holy Father. To this, mm-hmm. yeah, we have to pray yeah. hard. We have to pray hard. I, I, um, was really edified by his, um, his sort of. He's he just shows the virtue of the guy. He just doesn't. He hasn't been militant against the persecution. It reminds me of Padre Pio. Um, you know the way Padre Pio dealt. I just actually read that chapter in that book today about Padre Pio, who was silenced several times for ten years in a row. Yeah, he he was not allowed to do public ministry for ten years uh, mm. because people thought he was crazy, and you know he was just hearing confessions and celebrating mass and doing miracles. 
<laughs> and suffering. And, um, but he just sort of like, he, he, uh, he took it upon himself. This is going to save souls. And I think too, is like, of all the things I was just edified by how he just, he took it like a man and he just, he's just like, well, fine. I'm just, I did my job. I'm not really ashamed for what I did. I, um, my people love me. I love the faith. I love the deposit of faith. I love the church and, um, they want me to step down. So be it, you know? And I think he's, he's gonna, he's gonna probably be a saint for doing so, you know, but, um, yeah. I think, um, you know, that's a very good point father, maybe to, say, you know, to kind of build on, which is that I, I do think that a lot of us who are Catholic are going to have to get used to the fact that we're going to have to suffer for the truth now. This is not, even from within, there's a new book that's come out, you and I are both reading it, Father, called Persecuted from Within, How the Saints Endured Persecution from Inside the Church. And this is uh, not new. This has gone on in the history of the church. You know, we think of like immediately of people like Joan of Arc. Uh, we, th we think of um, so, so many, Saint, you know, even St. Paul. We have John Fisher, Thomas More. A lot of them suffered from their own, their own confreres turned against them or didn't support them. And this is a, a, a common problem. So it's not so unique, but I would say that, uh, well, we're, uh, Bishop Strickland is a man and he's willing to suffer for the truth. And he knows, you know, well, just shut up and you won't suffer, you know? Well, at some point, that's not the way the Lord is. And uh, the Lord has asked us to, to speak and, and, and announce the truth and to accept the cross of suffering, sometimes even from our own brothers and sisters. So it's a, it's a powerful message that the bishop is giving. And I think something that we're all going to have to get used to, that if we speak plainly today, um, we may well get in trouble for it but we should still speak plainly. We're not trying to intentionally annoy people or uh, unsettle them, but, but by gosh, the only thing that sets us free is the truth. And all this shut up and, you know, don't say all this stuff um, is, well, if you haven't found something worth dying for, you're not fit to live, as the old saying goes. And I think somewhere along the line, you know, we've turned religion today kind of into a bromide or a, a uh, therapeutic thing. It's all about consolation and feeling better and feeling good. But you know, the true faith calls us to the cross too. It calls us to, to be willing to suffer. Jesus stood before Pilate and said, I'm in trouble right now. And I'm before you because I, I came and the, the reason I came is to bear witness to the truth. That's why I'm here. And he suffered mightily for it and we can do no less. So Bishop Strickland is among those who has accepted this truth. And, you know, he could whine and say, it's not fair. And some of the stuff that even I said earlier, but at the end of the day, it may not be fair, but it's what happens to you consistently in the world. And even in the history of the church, when you stand up and say, you know, this is what the Lord says, and we need to take it seriously. You're going to find a lot of pushback and you have to say it anyway and be willing to suffer for it. And that's part of what it means to be a disciple. If you don't take up your cross and follow me, you can't and come after me. You cannot be my disciple. Whoa, you know, strong words, Jesus. All right. And uh, I'm sounding preachy. Sorry. I am a preacher by, by trade, but I mean, you know, I'm right. sounding a little preachy now. But somewhere in here, I, I think Bishop uh, Strickland is a great hero uh, for, for us. And some of his brother bishops need to start learning this and start speaking up more themselves. So 
I guess uh, that's kind of, that would be the, the sum total of my thoughts on it. Do, do we lose you, Father Larry? Yeah. I think I, I can't hear you, Father. Yeah. And your, your microphone's going yeah. dead. Yeah. So, that's okay. well, at, at any rate, I think there's um, at some level uh, that would be, uh, you know, and as I say, I, I think a lot of things need to be examined. What about now? Can you hear yeah, me now? Okay. Yeah, sure, sure. You're back. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I think that mess that message, Monsignor, really needs to go out. Is that, um, you know, how many how many people are willing at the point? Like, rather than, I think that the answer, you know, what people should think about is, I mean, not so much what happened to him, but I guess the question is for priests, bishops, laity, also mm-hmm. religious, no. are you willing to get canceled for God? No, that's it. I mean, it's just simple as that. Are you willing to get canceled for the truth? And it's like, there's going to come a point. I think we're at that point at that juncture where you just don't care. I mean, don't be a jerk. Don't be, you know, look for it. Don't, don't, uh, put yourself out there with unnecessary or whatever. But when it comes down to, and you have a job to do, Mm -hmm. just, just be who you are unabashedly. And then the question is, you know, but if, if people just, you know, turn and get scared now, it's like, well, then, then, you know, then, then there, there isn't hope. I mean, the, the thing is that, but if he becomes a witness to hope, as I think he is, the way he's responding is very peaceful. And he's like, well, I got more time to do retreats, <laughs> you know, and I don't yeah. know. I don't have to deal with all that administration anymore. <laughs> I'm just beginning a paid yeah. vacation. Um, go, yeah. uh, he can spend more time in prayer. I mean, shoot. Um, he's going to do a lot of good, but I think people have to ask themselves the fundamental question. Am I willing to get canceled for doing the right thing? It's really what you have to ask yourself. Not so much yeah. what happened, but like, are you willing to now? The sad thing is, is like, you know, why and how and all this. I, I don't think necessarily we can answer that. Only God can answer that question. Um, you know, um, you know, but I, I think at the end of the day is, you know, if, if someone is righteous and they get, if they, uh, you know, they get persecuted for doing the right thing. Well, blessed are you. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. Yeah. And the, the gospel is being lived out. So mm-hmm. anyway, so folks, yeah, I just think, you know, but just pray for, for him, pray for the church, pray for our hierarchy, pray for more courage. Um, mm-hmm. right. you know, please, please pray for that, but pray for yourself. You know, like when push comes to shove, why are you on this earth anyway? Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. What's the point of this? I mean, what's like, it goes back to it. Is this, is this true or not? Is it worth dying for or not? Is the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the fundamental question. So I think it's just forcing Catholics to make hard, hard stances, you know, you know, so. Yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Well, folks, uh, we'll go back. We're going to talk about love next week. <laughs> it's all about love. Act you know? of virtue, man. What's love got to do with it? You know? <laughs> so monsignor if we get your blessing please and everyone uh have a happy thanksgiving to yeah. one, and, one and all it's a, actually yeah. my favorite feast uh, it's my favorite fe- uh, favorite mass of the entire year do you know why yeah. it's uh because every, everyone's there they don't have to be there it's the most prayerful mass the entire yeah. year Love it is it. it is yes it's a beautiful it's mass it. you know that's the lord yeah all right listen uh for for all of us you know just um some tough issues today, but, um, you know, transgender baptisms and so on. I think the document itself, even though it says, yes, it could happen, does give some pretty important reminders that um, faith isn't just, you know, 
uh, just a little club you join. And, um, and then also with Bishop Strickland, let's, let's lift him up and let's imitate his example. So may Almighty God bless you all, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.